0: If you have your Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 is where we will begin, but you will want to have your copy of the Scriptures available to you, either your own or one of those few Bibles, because there are other passages that we will be referring to as we go along. I do have one other announcement that I want to share with you. It was not in the bulletin, but I wanted to to go ahead and share it with you. We'll be getting it in the bulletin in the coming weeks. If you were here, members, for our business meeting last week, you know that we elected Brendan Wilson to serve as a new deacon. You all nominated him, the deacon's conducted their, did their review, testing process, examination process, and then presented a recommendation for us to elect Brendan, which we did. And so we will need to ordain Brendan, set him apart for deacon service. So we're going to be doing that on Sunday evening, August the 28th. You'll be hearing more about specific times, but plan to join us for that service because not only will we be setting apart Brendan, but we will also be having a time of fellowship afterwards. And this fellowship is going to serve two purposes. One, it's going to give us a chance to celebrate this milestone, this significant Point in Brendan's life and in the life of our congregation. So we'll be able to celebrate that together. But also, many of you know that Corrine Hakes recently retired from serving as one of our church secretaries after almost seven years in that role. So we want to have a time to honor and recognize Corrine's. We're also going to do that during that fellowship as well. So you want to be here as we ordain Brendan, celebrate that, and then also recognize and thank Corinne in this fellowship. So mark your calendars, August the 28th. We'll let you know a time just as soon as that has been solidified. When you think about Jesus and His earthly ministry, what comes to mind? Perhaps you think about the miracles that He so powerfully worked from feeding multitudes to healing the sick. In at least one instance, when the sick reached out to touch Him, and experienced miraculous healing, raising the dead, calming the seas, driving out the demons. As I heard one pastor recently say, none of the miracles were more difficult for Jesus than any of the others. They were all easy for Jesus. Perhaps when you think about the ministry of Jesus, you think about His miracles. Perhaps you think about His wise captivating, skillful teaching. The teaching which was incomparable as the crowds who heard Him understood. Perhaps when you think about Jesus and His ministry, you think about His rebuke of the religiously proud. Perhaps when you think about Jesus and His ministry, you think about His tenderness, His compassion towards the hurting and the repentant. And it's this aspect of Jesus' ministry that I want us to keep in the back of our mind today as we continue thinking about Philippians 4. Remember what Matthew wrote. When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But also, not only Jesus' ministry, But the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes when you think about Paul, we think about someone who was strong, defending the faith, no no funny business with Paul. But he also knew that different circumstances, even different individuals and their experiences, called for careful and wise responses. Consider what he wrote to. The Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5:14 and we urge you brothers admonish the idle encourage the faint hearted help the weak be patient with them all an indication of taking stock in where someone is at and the help that they need ministry is not flat that is always looking the same All of the time. Different occasions, different needs, call for different responses. Always grounded in the truth. Always driven by the truth. But also, what did Paul write to the Romans? He encouraged them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But to those with those who are weeping, what should our response be? Weep with those who weep. Different times call for different and appropriate responses. We are in the midst of considering Paul's admonition in Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. As we've been working our way through the book of Philippians, we have come to this section of Paul's letter and we have shifted it down into first gear to slow down. Now, some of you thought we had been in first gear this whole time. But we've really paused to slow down now. And here's why. At least part of why. There are at least three different ways you might read these verses. One is just as they are grammatically a command, calling for seemingly unquestioning obedience. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Period. End of story. No questions. However, as we considered last week, I don't think this is the response that Paul himself would invite of us nor his hearers, because remember what we said about back in Philippians 2? He uses the exact same word where he says here, don't be anxious before He used the same word to commend Timothy for his concern. Paul also wrote about his own concerns, his own anxieties for the church. So I think Paul would encourage us to ask the question, help us understand how to put these two together. What you commend and what you tell us to avoid. So, one way would be to read these as just a command to be heard, not questioned, obeyed, end of story. I don't think that's the best way to understand this verse. But also, it could be read, depending on the tone that you use, it could be read as a rebuke, couldn't it? Don't be anxious about anything! But Paul has already written, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Encourage the faint-hearted. And to those who are struggling with fear, with anxiety, a rebuke of stop your worrying, get over it, is probably never what they need to hear, to actually respond in faithful, God-honoring ways to what they are experiencing. So I don't think it's merely a command to apply without question. I certainly don't think it is a heavy-handed rebuke, nor should we use it as such. But instead, I think that it's an encouragement Supplying direction to the anxious and faint hearted among the Philippians. An encouragement to not be anxious, but instead respond this way. Recently, I commented on a Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study, which, by the way, if you don't attend our Wednesday night Bible study, let me encourage you, mark your calendar. Wednesday, 7 p.m., we'll be in the Fellowship Hall, continuing to walk through the parables of Jesus. See your bulletin for where we'll be this Wednesday night. But I recently made a comment during that study that it's been said that the task of a pastor is... The following, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I think that too applies to the direction of this verse in this way. Some of you are afflicted by fear. And I want you to hear in this verse and in this little mini-series that we're doing that there is comfort, that there is hope in Christ on this issue. But perhaps some of you are comfortable with your experience and your response to fear and anxiety. And perhaps you need to be a little afflicted, a little discomforted, so that you might find hope and rest in Christ. I don't know where you are, but I know that at some level, every person within my hearing is confronted with this reality throughout the course of their life. Some more than others, some more intensely than others. But all of us need to hear the encouragement that not only Paul gives here in Philippians 4, but that the Scriptures provide to those who experience the reality of worry, anxiety, and fear in this fallen world. Now, last week as we began thinking through this issue together we made some observations about verses two through five and then continued on into verses six and following We want to pick up this morning with our observations but just by way of quick summary first Recall what we noticed last week. The Bible doesn't distinguish between worry, anxiety, and fear with unique words or distinct prescriptions. It treats this as a big umbrella with some general basic directions and help. Second, the temptation for our worry, anxiety, and fear to be sinful is a real temptation for all of us. As we noted last week, there are 180 times in Scripture where either directly or indirectly we are encouraged to distance ourselves from fear, to not be afraid. I acknowledged last week that we as believers, even if this point that our Worry, anxiety, and fear can be sinful. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be able to acknowledge this. Why? Because of Jesus. We don't have to be ashamed of this fact because God already knows. And Jesus came to redeem us from this aspect of our experience of sin also. But also there's the reality of the fact that the fall into sin has affected every aspect of our life. There is no corner of our life in a fallen world as fallen human beings that has not been touched by the effect of the fall of our first parents and The subsequent curse upon creation. And this includes our experiences of worry, anxiety, and fear. Thirdly, though it is true that the temptation of worry, anxiety, and fear can be sinful and touches us all, not every experience of worry, anxiety, and fear is sinful. Again, what Paul says about himself in Timothy in chapter 2 of Philippians, help us to see this. Now, four clarifications about this topic. First, as I mentioned last week, the way we go through this topic is going to be different than what you're used to on a Sunday morning. What I typically do in terms of expositing the Scriptures over the next little bit as we walk through this, our times together will probably feel more like a big Sunday school class and discipleship group than a Sunday morning sermon. But I have reason for going this slow because I think there is real help for all of us in this. But secondly, how long? I've been asked... How long are we going to be doing this, Pastor Greg? Well, to be honest, I'm really not sure. If I had to guess right now, I'm thinking probably two or three more Sundays after today uh, will give us the time that we need to walk through this. But we'll walk through it, and then we will resume our work through the end of Philippians. But also, thirdly, as we continue along, it's possible that you may have questions about something that I say or don't say. Don't hesitate to catch me afterwards or reach out to me. I would be happy to chat with you. There is a lot more that we could say and think about on this topic. So if you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me or catch me after the service. Fourthly, and closely related, as we strive to understand and respond biblically, to our human experience of worry, fear, and anxiety. It necessarily will include what the Bible teaches about who we are as humans, life in this fallen world, the redemption that Jesus provides in His sacrificial death and resurrection, along with multiple other issues of the body of beliefs that we have from Scripture. We won't be able to dive deeply into all of these as we go along. So, as we touch on other areas of truth in order to utilize them and understand how they apply to this issue of worry, fear, and anxiety, I'll do my best to explain those connections and keep us all together. However, because we're drawing from other aspects of Christian belief... Without necessarily fuller explanation of those beliefs, it's very possible that questions may arise from connections I'm making and conclusions I'm drawing. If that's the case and you have questions, why did you put it this way? Why didn't you say that? Or help me understand that connection a little bit more. Ask me. Let's talk because again there's certainly more that we could say and think about this issue and I still have much room to grow in understanding what the scriptures have to say on this and how to apply it to the Christian life so let's learn and grow together Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9 Rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, as we strive to take to heart Paul's admonition not to be anxious, this morning, I want us to continue to understand what the Bible has to say about our general experience of worry, anxiety, and fear. So we want to understand this issue in so far as we can from a biblical perspective. So our fourth observation is this we live in a world filled with occasions of worry for worry anxiety and fear go with me to matthew chapter 8 matthew chapter 8 a well-known story that jesus of jesus that matthew and other gospel writers recount for us matthew 8 beginning in verse 23 and when he got into the boat his disciples followed him And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, "'Save us, Lord, for we are perishing.' And he said to them, "'Why are you afraid?' "'O you of little faith.' "'Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, "'and there was a great calm. "'And the men marveled, saying, "'What sort of man is this "'that even winds and sea obey him?' "'Now,' You might say, Pastor Greg, you're using this story to say that we live in a world filled with reasons for worry, anxiety, and fear. But what did Jesus say? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, is Jesus not telling them that they shouldn't have been afraid? Well, Jesus's point and Matthew's point as he goes along is that at some significant level, no, they should not have been afraid. But it's not because the world in which they lived was not filled with an occasion for worry, anxiety, and fear. The storm was an occasion. It provided an opportunity. Why is it that they really, in the end, had no rational reason ultimately to be afraid? It's not because of their circumstances in terms of the storm. It's because of their circumstances and who was with them because of Jesus. But this story reminds us that we all go through storms in life. And these storms are opportunities for us to experience worry and fear. David Pallison, I read from his little booklet, Overcoming Anxiety, last week. And he goes on to say this, when you look at your world, it's easy to find reasons to be anxious See if you can find some of your worries on this list. Death is a fact of life. Relationships don't last. We often don't have enough money. There are plenty of reasons that we have to be fearful in this life. One of the broadest categories that the Scripture uses to talk about our experience of fear is fear of man or fear of people. And that is worrying what others think about us or how they will respond to us. The fact that this world is filled, this fallen world is filled with opportunities for us to be afraid, is not a blank check for us to respond in any way that we want to, and that response is okay. But, what we do need to recognize and not be ashamed of is that we live in a world that regularly presents before us opportunities to give into and indulge fear. And the Bible helps us in light of this. Relatedly, the Bible affirms that we live in this kind of world, but the Bible also affirms, friend, That God cares about this experience that we have. God cares about the experience of our worry, anxiety, and fear. How do I know this? There are a couple of ways that I know this. One is all of the ways. Over 600 verses that in one way or another point to the reality of fear in this life either encouraging us not to be afraid, reminding us of the call to holy reverence before God, but also just descriptions of fear in this life. Over 600 times the Scriptures address this issue in one way or another. Friends, that tells us that God is is aware and concerned about this issue in our lives, and He provides us help in His Holy Word. But the other way that I know this is this. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. If you were with us at our Good Friday service back in April... We looked at this scene from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, beginning in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. You won't find here the word worry. You won't find the word fear. You won't find the word anxiety. But how does Jesus describe his own experience as he anticipates becoming the one upon whom God is going to pour out the punishment for sin, for the sin of sinners like you and me, as Jesus anticipates what He is about to experience, and not primarily even the physical pain that will be involved, but the weight of bearing our sin and the punishment for our sin Jesus says that his soul is very sorrowful even to death and the gospel writers tell us that he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled what is worry what is anxiety other than a troubling of the soul in anticipation of what may come, either immediately or in the long term. Now, here is where we need the observations that we've already made, friends. Not every experience of worry, anxiety, and fear is sinful. And certainly, as Jesus' soul is troubled in this moment, there is zero sin in his experience. And we are reminded, I think, in a picturesque way here of what the writer to the Hebrews says. That He was tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. But without sin. God cares about this experience for us because His Word speaks so much to it. But also because the Lord Jesus has walked with perfection This road as well. Also, we need to acknowledge as we think about this reality of worry and fear in this life, it's not the same for everyone. Experiences of worry, anxiety, and fear are different for different people. For some, this is a regular and intense temptation. Some people tend to have more nervous, anxious dispositions. The other day I was at Kohl's, and I noticed a t-shirt. When I was a college freshman, I'm dating myself here, but when I was a college freshman, that classic Toy Story came out. And there's a character in that movie Toy Story Rex. The mighty T-Rex. He is a nervous soul. What does this have to do with being at Kohl's the other day? It has this. Because there was a t-shirt there and it said, I'm a nervous Rex. and had his picture on it some people are more inclined to experience and and experience this reality of worry regularly in their lives. For some, worry is more of an occasional experience, not something that they struggle with or deal with regularly. But wherever we're at on that spectrum Friends, we must avoid projecting our experiences with this issue onto others, or simply using that our experience as an absolute grid of evaluating what this is like for everyone. If you're here and worry and anxiety is common for you, be careful. Be careful not to assume that it's just part of life, or that it's It's just the way I am. Don't be dismissive of the help and comfort and hope that the Scriptures give to us. But also, if you're here, and fear is just something that is very rare in your life, friend, don't be dismissive of the weight that this issue is for the person sitting next to you. Or across the room. This is different for different people. And don't be dismissive of the scripture's guidance for the fear that you face, even if occasionally. And this is why, among the reasons, this is why I wanted to do a deeper dive on this topic. If do I dare say I fear? If we were to just gloss over verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious, present your request to God, move on. If we were to gloss over these verses, I think it would be tempting for many of us to respond with something like this, yeah, but Pastor Greg, you don't understand what it's like for me. It's just not that simple in my life. And friend, I'll admit, I don't know what this, ex- what this issue is like in your life. I don't know all of the details. I don't know what it's exactly like for you. But, I think we can all profit from considering the Scriptures more closely and how they help us respond faithfully, biblically, to this common experience. But also, next, experiences of worry, anxiety, and fear frequently involve both soul and body. Our experiences of worry frequently involve both soul and body. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. I think there is something significant about the fact that one of the most concentrated places in Matthew's Gospel where the issue of fear is addressed is actually at the resurrection of Jesus. I want us to read just the first four verses, Matthew 28, 1-4. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Perhaps they fainted in response to the powerful, overwhelming appearance of this angel. Fear is not an uncommon response to the appearance of God's messengers. But here, the thing I want us to notice in particular is what what we all know to be true. It's not just that they had an internal experience, but their body was involved also, right? They trembled. They fainted. Now, very rarely when we experience worry, does it go to this extent? Do we faint? But we all know what it is to have the butterflies in our stomach, to have the sweaty palms. We know many of us know what it is to find it difficult to sleep in the middle of the night because our mind just won't shut off from thinking about some situation that is of concern, that is worrying us. Our bodies are involved in this process. And this is not a surprise because... The Bible presents us as human beings. The fancy term is this. A psychosomatic unity. Psycho, our soul, somatic, from the Greek word for our body, unity. And so it's not surprising that when one aspect of that of our existence, our soul is affected by fear, that it would also affect our body. We are this unity to the point that there is only one time when this unity in us is broken. What is it? The great enemy of death. The rest of our lives. We are this unified whole, body and soul. And there is the promise for the believer in Christ that one day we will experience perfect wholeness in body and soul at the resurrection of the dead. This is the great hope. Not to be divorced from this body, but that we would be made completely whole. And so, our experience of worry in this life often involves both. Body and soul. But it's not just in the direction of our nervousness of heart affecting how fast our physical hearts beat. But it can also occur in the opposite direction. And here's what I mean. Bodily problems and bodily challenges can invite occasions for our soul's to be anxious. It's not just that our soul experiences nervousness and then we feel it physically. Sometimes there are physical issues that can lead to these anxious feelings. Sometimes this is occasional. Sleeplessness, lack of nutrition, other things. Sometimes it's more chronic and more ongoing. But our experiences of worry, fear, and anxiety frequently involve both our body and soul. Eighth, experiences of worry, anxiety, and fear are different on different occasions. No one's experience is the same all of the time. Sometimes it's very sudden. Sometimes it's very fleeting. Sometimes it endures for an extended period of time. Sometimes it's sudden and we're just not even sure where it came from. It's different on different occasions. Ninth, worry, anxiety, and fear involves our imaginations and the future. When we worry, our imaginations are running and we're thinking about what's to come. Think about the passage that we read last week, Matthew 14, and Jesus walking on the water out to the disciples. And they see Him walking, and they think it's a ghost. And Matthew writes that they respond in fear, they trembled. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. They're they're probably wondering immediately, what is this threat to us right now? And they're imagining what... Even instantaneously, what could happen if this threat materializes? Sometimes, the thinking about what we're anxious about is more extended. Think about Matthew 6, where he tells his hearers, do not be worried, do not be anxious about what you will eat, or about what you will wear. There, there's more of a thought of, what is my life going to be like down the road? What's my life going to be like tomorrow, next week, when the money runs out? What will life be like then? Some of you are thinking, yeah, but Pastor Greg, sometimes I worry about an event that happened last week, 10 years ago. I just can't stop thinking about it. But if we're worried about an event that happened, Five days ago or five years ago, what are we worried about? We're not really worried about what happened back then as if by thinking about it we can change what happened back then. We know we can't. We're worried about the repercussions of what might come now or in the future. Worry involves our imagination and what lies in front of us. So, Our observations are these. Worry, anxiety, and fear are interchangeable biblically, and I've used the words interchangeably this morning. The temptation for this experience to be sinful is a real temptation for all of us. Not every experience, though, of our worry is sinful. We live in a world filled with occasions for this experience. But in this world, as we experience this, friends, God cares. God cares about what you are walking through at this moment. This experience is different for different people. We're not all wired the same. Experiences frequently involve both soul and body, and it can work in both directions. Experiences of fear, are different on different occasions. And it always involves something of our imagination and our future. Those are some baseline observations that we want to take into the direction, the help that the Scriptures provide on this issue in the weeks to come. And so as we continue to walk down this road together in coming weeks, what are our goals? First, Let me be frank, our goal is not to completely eliminate the experience of worry in this life because not all occasions are sinful. And remember what David Pallison said in the the comment that we read last week? It's like God's hardwired check engine light in our soul that tells us something is not right. Something is not right in our experience. It may be that something is not right in our own hearts. But our goal is not to eliminate the check engine light, but to grow in, with God's help, that light functioning properly. My goal in thinking through the admonitions of Scripture on this issue is not to encourage us to fake it till we make it. It's easy for us when we're struggling in this life when we gather together to put on a happy face and pretend like everything's okay. If anything what I want us to do, what I what I pray is one of the fruits of this study is that we will destigmatize this issue, if you will, and allow us to talk freely and honestly about how we're struggling with this. And this is where the doctrine, what we believe about the church, comes right into this issue. Because, friends, if you're a follower of Christ today, God has not called you to walk down this experience by yourself. He has given you a body of fellow believers in Christ to bear this burden with you and to help you grow in this issue. So my hope is that we will grow in responding with honesty. With honesty first to the Lord and with honesty to one another about how this issue is affecting us. To respond to our experience of worry in God-honoring ways, I pray that we will experience a reduced frequency of worry. I do pray that from the encouragement that Scripture provides, that for many of us it won't be as intense, it won't be as frequent, that we'll take a step forward in reducing the effect on our lives, both in frequency and in intensity, but also And more positively, that we will respond to the worry that we face in God-honoring ways such that we look to the Lord for His promised peace and rest in the storm of the worry. In the storm of those occasions that tempt us to fear. And by God's grace, I pray that as we grow in thinking about this issue more faithfully and responding to it, that God will be glorified in our midst and that we will grow in following the Lord Jesus Christ who Himself experienced a troubled soul as He prepared to pay for our sin. So friend, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ. What you need to hear most of all is about that Savior from sin. Go to Jesus. Flee to Jesus. And if you don't know what it is to trust in Jesus, to repent of your sin, to trust in Jesus and follow Him, talk to me after the service. And let's talk about what it means to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honesty of it. Father, we thank you for the earthiness of it. That is, it doesn't come to us as an encyclopedia or a dictionary, but it it comes to us with flesh, with bones. It comes to us out of the experiences of this life. Father, thank You that it not only comes to us out from the pen of men who lived life in this fallen world as we have, but by Your Holy Spirit carrying those men along, it comes to us so that it is perfect without error, completely reliable in all that it speaks to. So Father, as we continue down this study, Father, we pray that we will be aided by the reliability of Scripture. We pray, Father, that where we are tempted to think, I can't trust what God's Word has to say about this, I need to set that aside and go elsewhere. Father, help us to not neglect the great truths and the great help that the the Scriptures provide to us. Thank You, Father, that You know. Thank You that You care. Thank You, Father, that You have sent the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sin. In His name we pray. Amen.